you know, we've talked a lot about this in between media this season. There's going to be curveballs coming your way. Hate's a strong word. I dislike Kirk Cousins more than probably any other quarterback. Because I get a little bit of that rookie-itis, you know? I would have said, I would love some of what you're saying. Even though I'm straight, I'm still stuck between an interpretation, what it all means. Can I make a difference for something different? My mind in prison, then I saw the vision. Played the field, it's no competition. Found success through the repetition. If it's impossible, stick to the mission. I'm just cruising through on my way to get it. I found myself somewhere in between. Yeah, I found myself somewhere in between. All right, welcome in everyone. It's Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Cinco de Mayo. The NFL draft has come and gone, but questions remain very in between amongst it all. Lucky for you, this is the In Between Fantasy Football podcast. You can find our streams live every Wednesday night during the offseason. You can find our audio version released on Apple, Spotify, wherever you guys get your podcasts. You know where to find us by now. I'm Seth Wolcock. You can find me on the bird at between underscore Seth FF. I'm here with my usual accomplices, Nate Polvote. You can find him there as well at Janate Jack FF. And our boy, Scott Reinier, always joining us as well from Seattle. I appreciate you guys joining the show once again. Um, it really has been a crazy offseason, um, and it just got crazier here in the last week. The NFL draft, quite a bit different than I was expecting it to play out. Um, guys, just general thoughts and feelings on the draft. Well, I had a blast during the draft, I have to say. Um, I mean, talked about it a little bit, but it's my first year really doing it from kind of this side of things and not just looking at, you know, oh, who are the Seahawks taking? So I did a lot of a lot more prep and just research going into it just because I knew it'd be really fun to be able to talk about it as it was happening. Um, so that was really fun. It was really tiring, but it was really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, some, obviously some things happened that weren't expected. One of my key things coming out of it, and it's not a hot take or anything, but I'm really curious with all the debate and discussion that's gone on around these top five quarterbacks to see these careers play out now, to watch what actually happens, you know, because everybody still has their takes. Who's better? Who's, who's worse? Um, who is stupid for taking who and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, now we get to see it play out. And I mean, you know, five quarterbacks in the first round, that's that's going to be fun to watch. That's an infusion of pass-throwing youth in the NFL. So I'm excited for that. And I'm also excited because it, you know, the general thinking is it was a pretty weak class for the, for the running back position. But I'm I'm excited to watch that too. You know what I mean? I mean, we can we can watch what they did in college. We can analyze the stats until we're blue in the face. Um, but now they're going to get on the field and play. And so I'm I'm interested to see who you know who had a um, you know a negative draft capital or who had a you know a not an ideal landing spot. Seeing them exceed expect expectations, I think that's going to be fun. Plus, I mean, I'm just I'm a sucker for running backs. Yeah. I think we all are, especially yeah. those like real dynamic backs like 
Michael Carter, someone that oh, yeah. we'll, talk, we'll talk about him later. But yeah, it was an interesting draft. Something I thought was interesting. And this also my first year covering this in any capacity outside of like you, Scott, what are the Broncos going to do? Did I like that pick? I don't really know. The news says it was good. So I'm going to go with it. Well, sure. It was yeah. fine. But one thing that I think is interesting is how many guys that we as a community and analysts had projected higher in the draft fell. I'm also interested to see outside of those top five quarterbacks, some of these later round guys, how they do, uh, specifically Davis Mills, Kyle Trask, and Kellen Mond. Um, And also, just real quick, I don't know why the Broncos passed on Justin Fields, but it better be because they're going to get Aaron Rodgers. There's no other explanation. I saw them get like an A-minus grade from I think it was NFL Network. And okay, they get an A grade if they take Justin Fields. They took a cornerback that they didn't need in the first round. So, but I mean, all in all, it was interesting to watch it unfold. And I'm just really curious to see how some of these landing spots affect some of these players that we were so high on. Yeah, I thought day two and day day three, day two especially rounds two and three. I mean, there were no running backs coming off the board. I was really surprised that Michael Carter didn't come off on day two and. The receivers really kind of landed on day two, I felt like, in not ideal landing spots. The, the teams that seemed, seemed wide receiver needy did not go wide receiver heavy. And same with the running backs. So we're, we're going to break this down, guys. We have a lot to get to on today's show. Um, appreciate everyone joining us tonight. Uh, we're going to kick it off with headline hijinks and break down the draft a little bit deeper. <laughs> All right. For those new to the show, Headline Hijinks is our way of breaking down the recent NFL news and turning it into a fun fantasy headline. So, Nate, I want to start with you, man. Who was your team who you think actually got better overall and you think it's going to lead to better fantasy production and them actually being possibly an elite team in the NFL in 2021? Okay, so my headline is... Fly Falcons fly return to dominance in order for ATL. Um, they actually, I don't think a lot of people realize how well they did in the draft. Um, obviously Kyle Pitts, we know he's great, but they really bolstered their offensive line, which was a problem for Matt Ryan last year. I mean, he got sacked more than he would have liked and he was under pressure a lot more often than I think he would have cared for. So they, they solved some issues there in the second and third rounds. Um, they picked up Ricky Grant, who's a safety, who should be an immediate starter. They added an ed ru- edge rusher in Taquan Graham, who's going to bolster their defense. So if you play IDP, he's a guy you're probably looking for in rookie drafts. Um, and then they got they picked up cornerback Darren Hall, who is kind of a shutdown corner who went in a later round. Those are all great things that they did for themselves that is going to help the stock of guys like Julio Jones, if he doesn't get traded, Calvin Ridley, Mike Davis, Matt Ryan, Kyle Pitts, Russell Gage. They made their offensive line better and they made their defense better. Their defense can get that offense back on the field and keep the other team's offense off, which is especially going to be great for guys like Mike Davis, because it looks like he's probably going to be the feature back in that offense. Surprisingly against all odds, man. I I know. I kind of figured when they signed him, he could be a playmaker this year and, uh, a lot of people figured he'd ride the pine, but it looks like it's Mike Davis season once again in 2021. Yeah. Scott, what do you got? Uh, all right. So mine, my, my headline hijinks is fields of dreams. 2017 seems like a long time ago. So now I'll preface this with, I don't necessarily think this makes this team an, an elite NFL team as of yet, 
But from a fantasy standpoint, I think the move the Chicago Bears made to jump up and grab Justin Fields, once they saw, probably fell out of their chairs that the Broncos did not take Justin Fields. Yep. Um, and I mean, honestly, they didn't give up. You know, they gave up, obviously, a first rounder and a fourth rounder next year and their first rounder this year. And then I think another fifth rounder. But it's not a lot to trade up to who you think is going to be your franchise quarterback at number 11. So, and the reason I say 2017 seems like so long ago is just the debacle of Mitch Trubisky trading up past Watson and Mahomes to get Trubisky. Now it's kind of come full circle because they traded up. And I mean, again, this all has to play out. You know, no, there's no guarantee. But Fields, I'm a Fields guy for sure uh, after Lawrence. Even with this landing landing spot, I'm still Fields after Lawrence. To make that trade up, and I just think it instantly makes all of the fantasy relevant skill position players on that team better. I just think across the board, um, you know, a, a better quarterback is always going to help your lead running back. Tariq Cohen's coming back. I mean, that yeah, obviously will cut into David Montgomery's usage a bit, but I still think that they're both going to be viable. And then Allen Robinson, you know, props to Allen Robinson. I think I tweeted something out when they when they took Justin Fields, you know, the the gif from old school when Will Ferrell says, let's go streaking. <laughs> like, and, you know, it's just like we've we've talked about it for years. Like, just get him a quarterback. Um, Wide receiver, I mean, one Fields talent. Is known, Fields is known as a, you know, a mobile, accurate quarterback. So, I mean, I'm I'm excited for Allen Robinson. I'm excited for Darnell Mooney. I'm excited for Cole Komet, of course. Of course. Um, they traded up. They got their guy, um, and then you know, with their very next pick, they got Tevin Jenkins, who was a first round first round offensive lineman in the second round, yep. and then their next pick, which wasn't till later, but was another offensive lineman. So I mean, they're I think they're doing it right. Um, I think the odds are better than 50-50 that he he takes the job from week one. I do too. Coach on the hot seat, so it, it does make us make sense. I think a little bit. Um, and the fans in Chicago, they're not going to want to wait for it. And I, I think we're seeing that other places in the NFL as well, um, kind of leading into my headline hijinks for the team that I really think stepped it up in the draft here. And my headline is linemen matter in La La Land. Chargers, they get Rashawn Slater in the first round. He drops to them at 13. Uh, it was pretty crazy to see that happen. I, I thought he would be in the top 10 for sure. Followed up with Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round, a great defensive player. And then Josh Palmer from Tennessee. And I know a lot of people, um, there's a lot of hate out on, in the fantasy industry for the Josh Palmer draft take in the third round. Um, I, I mean, he's a speedy guy, and they have a lot of speedy guys like Jalen Guyton on that team. Mike Williams hasn't really lived up to his hype yet. But I, I think Josh Palmer, I think he's a guy who, who might be underrated a little bit. He, he had really bad quarterback play at Tennessee. So I think give him a good quarterback and Justin Herbert. They grabbed another lineman in the fifth round who really could be a steal, uh, Brendan James out of Nebraska. So I, I'm excited for him as well. Um, they grabbed a tight end in the third round to replace Hunter Henry. So I think overall right now, uh, the Chargers, they took a step forward, man. Justin Herbert, he's going to be protected on both his sides for a little bit here and added another pass catcher for him. And I, not just any tight end, Trey McKitty with the coolest name <laughs> just about anyone in this draft. All right, guys, um, moving forward here. Th this next question uh, has a special place in my heart. We're going to talk about our favorite rookie RBs in redraft at their current ADP, not named Najee Harris. Last season, um, when we first started this podcast, Tom and I, uh, my co-host at the time we did this, uh, it was your favorite redraft running back, not named CEH or JT. Um, I went with DeAndre Swift. That's kind of where I started playing my flag in on him. 
So I, I'm excited to see who you guys have. Uh, Scott, starting with you, man, who, who's your favorite running back outside of Najee Harris to Pittsburgh? So the, to be to be exact, the question is at their at their current ADP. Yes. So I mean, my favorite running back outside of Najee Harris is Travis Etienne, but right um, at their current ADP, and you took Carter, so I'm, I would just decided to go with somebody else. I'm going with Kenneth Gainwell, man. I'm like seemingly planting my flag with him. Um, I wrote a little thing about him in the Mondays column I just put out. You know, draft capital not necessarily what people were hoping for, potentially landing spot, not necessarily, at least on the surface, what people were hoping for. But as far as what type of player he is, and once all that dust settles from that, like, oh, wait, he's not going to be a 25 carry back in the league. Oh, no, he's not going to be any good. You know, like it's either that or nothing. Um, I think it's actually a really good fit. And part of that's because of their new their new head coach, Sirianni, from, from the Colts who for the last two years has implemented more of a lead back with a dynamic pass catching back in Naheem Hines, you know, in 2019 it was with Marlon Mack and 2020 it was with John and Jonathan Taylor, you know, both ended up being viable fantasy options. And I see him taking that role without much competition in Philadelphia. I mean, he's got Boston Scott, I think to compete with in that, in that role, you know, and not just your change of pace, not just your, typical third down back or change of pace back. I think he, he and Miles Sanders are going to be on the field together uh, more than people think. Um, I've seen some people putting some stuff out there that he could line up in the slot, uh, yep. run some routes. I just think he's going to be, you know, uh, a rich man's Dwayne Eskridge, if, if you will. Um, so I think they're going to find a way to get him on the field, you know, not, not to the point where he's an RB1 or anything like that. But at his current ADP, like I just – just today drafted him and I'm in that girl dad redraft uh, league and we're drafting right now. And I mean, I, I may have reached on him a little bit. I think I took him in the ninth round, but there comes a time in redraft drafts when there's just, you know, the running backs and receivers that are there, there's just no excitement. There is no juice. You know, it's like Alexander Madison and Le'Veon Bell, and <laughs> those guys. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't care if this seems like a reach. I want the guy that could hit, you know, upside man. It's upside. Yep. I actually, I took, I took at the, I was a pick 11. So I took gain one on the turn. I took sermon. And I know that was a reach, but same deal, man. I, I'd rather, I'd rather reach on one of those guys. Once you get into the, the double digit rounds and redraft, then, you know, like I said, then taking your, you know, you're just kind of boring potential handcuff, QB you know, two, tight end you know roster cloggers really. Yeah, exactly. I I rather take a guy like Kenneth Gainwell rather than than a second quarterback, honestly, rather than like Sam Darnold or or Jared Goff, anyone like that, or one of these like tight ends. And I know we're big Cole Komet fans here, but I probably really don't want Cole Komet in redraft. So like like those Not are this the, year. Yeah, no. those are the types of guy I'm I'm like trying to avoid. So I think Scott, you make a good point there, man. I think Gainwell, he's a guy to keep your eye on. Yeah, I agree. So. You know, I can't believe neither one of you guys wanted to talk about Ramondre Stevenson. <laughs> Scott, Scott laughs at me. Look, I talked about him in our last show. It's kind of one of those under-the-radar guys that you might be wanting mm -hmm. to target, depending on where he landed. Well, he landed exactly where – or exactly the situation I hoped he would in New England. I think it's a great situation for him. He's a, he'll complement Sony Michelle and James White but he's a power runner that kind of reminds me of Corey Dillon. And I think he's going to be more involved like 
from the get-go than we think. And I'm surprised he lasted as long in the draft as he mm-hmm. did. And Belichick, Belichick makes smart decisions for the most part, especially positions outside of quarterback in the draft because we see how his quarterback drafts have gone. But if you consider there's a good chance we see Mac Jones somewhere around probably week five, week six, if Cam Newton is the same Cam Newton we saw in the second half of last season. And obviously Belichick sees something in Mac Jones, got him at 15. He's probably going to end up being the starter there. And they're going to need a guy like Stevenson, who is just a power back who can reliably get two to three to four yards per carry when he's asked. And they're not going to ask him every down. And he could be a really good option as a goal line back for them because I don't think if it's Mac Jones, that changes their red zone offense. They all of a sudden become a goal line run team, and that's not James White. And Sony Michelle can't stay on the field. Nate, I, I, I think that's a really good point. If Cam Newton's there, a, a lot of the running back upside is out of New England. Yes. Um, I think that's a brilliant point you made there. My, my one question here is Damian Harris. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I know he didn't look crazy last year, but he averaged over five yards per carry last season. He, like, like Damian Harris was a good back. He, he didn't get a lot of receptions like we thought, but honestly, I, he was one of the guys I planted my flag on early in the offseason, kind of got banged up at the end of the offseason and, and came into camp late and just really never recovered from there fully. But, I mean, Scott, wh- wh- where are you at? Where would you take Harris and or Stevenson um, in a redraft right now? 12 team. Um, well, Damian Harris was on the club, was on the board when I took my two rookies. Okay. Um, he was, he's a, he was a guy, he's a, you know, the other thing I do when I get to that point in the draft is I look, you know, like, especially with Damian Harris, it's somebody who potentially could get a, you know, more of a starter's workload than anybody else that's sitting there at that time. Your Mark Ingram's and your, you know, Daryl Henderson. Sorry. I'm just going down the list of the people that are in my draft queue. Um, but my problem, I, I like Stevenson. I like Stevenson, the player. I disagree on the landing spot. And the reason is it's just, it's just too crowded for me. He could take over, uh, you know, more of a role, but I mean, they have a not pass catching bruiser in Damian Harris, you know, that they, they kind of already have that. And, and Sony and Sony Michelle, they have two of them. But see, um, I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. Here's my issue with Damian Harris I don't think Belichick trusts him to get the job done, or he wouldn't have taken a guy like Ramondre Stevenson yeah. before like the sixth or seventh round, but he did. And we saw him not trust Damian Harris at the end of last season. I every week on my waiver wire show was go get Damian Harris, go get Damian Harris. He's got like a 20% roster ship and on sleeper, like you can get this guy. But every week he disappointed. That's he just true. didn't. Just, he I just didn't. It, I find it difficult to trust a rookie running back in Belichick's system, regardless, just because of how crowded it is. And even when he has established guys from week to week, you don't really know who it's going to be. So no, that's, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. If I'm taking him in redraft, and I mean the thing is, is that in redraft he he's basically free. I mean he's going to be he's going to be going. I mean if if he's sitting there. You know, in the fifteenth, sixteenth round, or whatever. Um, oh crap, kickers, defenses. But anyway, if he's sitting there late, I don't have any problem stashing him on my bench and seeing what happens. Same. So, I mean, as far as as far as that late round lottery ticket, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I do like him. I just I don't draft kickers or defense in redraft. I, 
I've honestly like some of the formats make you ESPN. ESPN makes you. Oh yeah, that's right. But, I don't really have to. I but if I if I can avoid it, I'm with you, Nate. I'll I'll pick up a running back or a receiver and then just ride them until till week one, dump them, and then just get whoever I can. Really, I I yeah. that's yeah. Great it depends on your league settings. If you do yeah. that, I mean one one strategy I utilize in in redraft quite a bit is um, I. You know, if I'm picking up people with fab or whatever, and I, and I just don't want to drop anybody, I always just drop my kicker. Yeah, yep. just yep. drop the kicker, then pick one up at the end. That's why yep. any any league with an acquisition limit, no, thank you, no, no, way. no way, no, no way. way. That's Those just are, silly. Well, it's just antiquated. It's like now yep. people people stream tight ends, people stream quarterbacks, people stream defenses, people stream kickers. Like you can't yep. in redraft, you can't have an acquisition limit. I played in a work league like four years ago that had one. And like, I knew what it was. I knew what the rules were from the very beginning, you know, and I was very, very good. I wasted a freaking roster spot on Kiki Kuti that year. But anyway, <laughs> we all did. I so. still, I got to the championship game and I needed a receiver and I didn't have any, I didn't have any uh, acquisitions left to pick up wow. anybody off waivers. Like it That's was wild. I didn't like it. Yeah. No, so. thank you. <laughs> All right, guys, rounding out our rookie RB discussion, um, my favorite redraft running back right now at their current ADP, and it sounds like he might be your guys's as well, is Michael Carter. Um, falls to the Jets on day three. Not a lot of us saw that coming. Um, and, and he's a guy, like a lot of people in the industry uh, knew about him. You know, he's not a surprise. He had 156 rushes last year, over 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns. Like he was very comparable to Javante Williams. I thought exactly, you know what I mean? Like, like, like they were right there other than the touchdowns that Williams had, like Carter actually outrushed him just a little bit. Um, but now I think he like, like right now, a lot of people I'm seeing redraft rankings out already. And uh, Williams is above Carter. And I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I don't, I, I don't either. I would much rather have Carter right now because at least um, Javante has to go through a comparable Melvin Gordon who they just paid last season. So they still want to use Melvin, obviously. But, I mean, Michael Carter, the backfield he's he's dealing with is Tevin Coleman, injury prone. And, you know, the Michael P. P. Ryan could be okay. He could be okay. We don't know yet. But I honestly, when you watch P. Ryan's tape, whether it's his collegiate tape or his professional tape, he doesn't look like the same guy Michael Carter is. Um, very friendly to a guy like Zach Wilson, who is going to be, you know, he's a guy who's kind of chaotic. That's exactly how Mark Sanchez described him a couple weeks ago was, you know, surprisingly chaotic and beautifully chaotic at the same time. Um, but you know, they obviously traded up for a lineman as well in the first round. I thought that was a great grab. They're pairing him with Makai Becton on that offensive line. That's two cornerstone pieces of, of their line. Like whoever's running behind this Jets offensive line this isn't the same Jets we saw before. Obviously, Robert Sala comes over as well at the same time from San Francisco. He knows the Kyle Shanahan system, that zone run scheme. Right now in redraft, and it's way too low, and it will adjust, but um, according to Fantasy Pro's ACR, their expert consensus ranking, um, he's RB47. Like that, That's way too low. Um, I would honestly probably – I think take Michael Carter probably like seven, eighth round redraft – Scott, mm-hmm. Nate, where are you guys at on him? Nate, you seem pretty hot and bothered over there, man. I am. I love Michael Carter. I have had Michael Carter ahead of Javante Williams since before the draft, and it only got more egregious to have Javante Williams ahead of him post-draft because right. exactly what you're saying, the situation, 
and for a number of reasons. So I did, I wrote a piece for uh play to win on Michael Carter a while back, a collab article. So I watched a ton of film on him and this dude is explosive and he's not just, expl- he's tiny, but he runs well between the tackles. He's really elusive. Um, and when you bolster your offensive line and you've got a little guy like a Barry Sanders size guy that can sneak through some of those holes, get through that a gap quicker than Perrine can. And he's hard to see. And I think people don't factor that in enough. When you've got a smaller back that's powerful, they're hard to see coming off that line. So they get lost. You've got linebackers looking for where he's going to hit the gap, but this guy's so tiny, they they can't see him. So they're covering the B gap, and he comes popping out of an A gap. Plus, his pass-catching ability, and especially on the sidelines, this dude can create separation on a linebacker. No problem. Mm -hmm. It's not even an issue. But then you put the ball near him, and he comes down with it. And having that kind of asset for a guy like Zach Wilson, who is beautifully chaotic, is a huge deal because he gives him outs in places where Perrine won't give him outs. And he opens up that run game tremendously for the Jets. And people need to remember, this isn't the same Jets team as last season. They've got a new quarterback, a new coaching staff. They're adding parts and pieces. They added Corey Davis. Don't forget about adding Corey Davis. Like They're making moves to be a better team. This offense is going to be markedly better than it was last season. But Nate, you forgot all about Tevin Coleman. I know, intentionally. That's that's a joke. Right. Um, so I mean, I can I can tell you, and I mean this this league I'm in that's drafting. You know, I have a board right in front of me. It's a bunch of really good, you know, fantasy players. Javante Williams went for uh, at four oh four. Oh no way! And Carter Carter went at nine oh nine. Oh, see that that that's why like. I honestly think, guys, he's going to be someone that we as a collective here in between media plant our flag in. And because of that discount right there, I I can't play. I I can't play that Williams game. I can't draft him in the fourth round. Scott, where did Travis Etienne go on that? Curiously. Um, One pick after Javante Williams at 405. That, that's still, that doesn't make sense to me. That's still a little too. That's still a little too early f- for Travis Etienne. I think. Like, I think down the stretch, like he's a guy I kind of see um, similar to. Like, like, I think he'll have a season, maybe kind of like DeAndre Swift's last season. Start off a little slower and then slowly pick up steam as they go. Um, maybe become the number one guy after their buy. But that's not something I'm looking to pay a fourth round price tag on. Michael, Absolutely not. Michael Carter, though. Who, 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 again, Tevin Coleman, that's the guy right now there. And he hasn't had a good season, I think, since about 2018. So I, I'm in on Michael Carter, guys, and I, I don't think it's necessarily close. Yeah, I I don't, I think, it's not at all. Yeah, I mean, I've been a big Carter fan. I'm, I'm fine if, if, if IBT wants to plant the Michael Carter flag, let's do it. Just make sure it's the right Michael Carter. It's the first. So this is kind of funny, just real quick. So yeah. the difference between redraft and dynasty, I mean, uh, dynasty rookie draft right now michael carter was the 112 wow one qb uh super flex oh wait wait oh rookie draft right rookie draft rookie draft but still okay i was still (laughs) so right so he's going ahead of sermon chubba um he was the third running back off the board that feels that i mean yeah yeah and that, that makes that value makes sense to me for him yeah yeah absolutely um Let's continue down the board here, guys. Um, who is the biggest veteran player that's going to benefit from 
uh, this draft. There, are, We talked about it going into the NFL draft. We actually, a couple of guys we talked about, we, we labeled them as draft dodgers, um, players who had a lot to lose from this draft. And and Scott, I know yours. You you've had your eye on this guy really since last redraft season, and it seems like like he made out pretty well in this draft. I'd say. Yeah. So um, I went with uh, Chase Edmonds, and I'm cheating a little bit, and I put a little forward slash with James Conner, just because somebody is going to emerge from that little platoon as the um, the more fantasy relevant and fantasy valuable running back. My personal opinion is it's going to be Chase Edmonds. Um, but the Cardinals not taking one of the top-level rookie running backs, I think, you know, I mean, we can we can debate how good either of them will be in that role, but that's a separate conversation. To me, it's just the fact that now one of them will be in that role. Um, I mean, there it very well could be a situation where Edmonds retains his his role that he's excelled in and James Conner takes over where, where Kenyon Drake was. Sure, maybe, but James Conner can't stay healthy um, and wasn't really that great last year. So, I mean, I think Edmonds has a chance here. Um, I know there's a lot of mixed feelings on whether he's good enough and it would have happened by now if he was if it was going to, and that very well may be true. But right now I'm talking about opportunity, and that opportunity is there based on the fact that the Cardinals did not go with a running back. I thought they were going to. Um, yeah, me too. But, yeah, but they they did not uh, at this point. Those are the two guys, and yeah, I mean, I I can't call them anything but a winner because of that. Scott, um, where, where and Nate way on in on this too. Where are you taking uh, both those guys in redrafts right now? I'm probably I they're not somebody I'm reaching for. I mean, they're not really on my board at this point. Um, if they're still around in like 12th round, 13th round, and I need a running back, 14th round, maybe. I'm probably about going it. a little earlier than that. It was For, the same but, thing I talked, same thing I talked about earlier where I might lean more towards a Damian Harris when he's sitting in there next to like a Madison or an Ingram. It's like, you know, that there's just there's a chance that Damian Harris is the lead guy for the New England. You know, and I just think there's there's more of a chance for more more touches basically with these two. So I mean, I'm probably closer to ninth-ish round uh you know it's just once you get to that point in a redraft when it's just like the running back pickings are just slim um you know you got your mckissicks and hines that you can go with and that's fine especially in ppr but you know your guys that you're really any shred of confidence that they're going to get you know weekly consistent touches that's if one of those guys is sitting there then then that's Mm -hmm. when i'm going to grab them Scott, I, I'm with you there, man. I think Chase Edmonds, he's, he's a guy that if he's hanging around in the ninth or 10th round, specifically Edmonds because of the PPR upside, I think he's going to present. And I think he'll get on the field more with Connor versus when he had Drake back there with him, a more talented, more explosive back at this point in his career. Um, yeah, I think Chase Edmonds is a guy I would be willing to take around that ninth, 10th round. And I, I think he could pay dividends. Like He could be a guy who is a top 25 back this year and you get, you know, in the double digit rounds. I mean, he was close to a top 25 back. Yeah. I think I, years in PPR it just in his current role. I mean, let me be clear. I don't think either of these guys is going to be like 25 touches a game guy. You know, that's, yeah. that's not what I see. I see it probably somewhat close to an even split, but I think Edmonds at somewhat close to, to an even split with what he has shown, you know, in that, in that role. I, I agree. I think he can, he can flirt with the RB two. Uh, the RB2 world. Yep, I agree. 
and uh, with my, my biggest veteran winner um, from draft weekend. And that's going to be a guy who it's no shocker. I've been talking about him since literally week one of last year. And that's miles Gaskin. Um, Scott, you and I, I know you're uh, you're a big Washington state guy. You're a big Washington guy. Um, he, him and Salvin Ahmed, they kind of came into the draft as the one and the two. A lot of people literally since, free agency started like we're projecting oh Aaron Jones he's going to Miami no doubt and then it was oh they're getting Najee with their second pick in the first round oh they're gonna grab Javante in the in the second round third round like you know it just kept happening and it, it never did happen you know it just smoke the whole time I think they trust both these these Huskies honestly like I think it's gonna be a really good one-two combo and Miles Gaskin is a guy who Scott, curious, where, where do you go in that draft? I'm going to say probably back end of the fourth, early fifth. Uh, let's see. Where are you, Miles? He went 506. 506 for a guy last year. He was an RB1 on a points-per-game basis. He averaged over 15 points PPR game. Like, like he's there, man. Miles Gaskin is a good player, and I think now just adding players like Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle, who can take the top off a little more than they had last season, that's just going to make it better for Miles Gaskin. So, I mean, if he stay, if he stays the guy, uh, you, I just I think he is a bargain on draft day right now. He is. Yep. He's going as kind of one of your last guys that gets kind of lead back usage, and he did when he was healthy. And his not healthy last year was COVID. So, um, I think. I mean, I would I would have grabbed him my next pick in this draft had he lasted that long. But again, the same thing I've been talking about, like there's just, there's a line, right. You know, between these running backs who get a starter's workload consistently, and he's one of them. And apparently there's enough confidence with Brian Flores to keep that going because they, like you said, you know, and it was the same thing. It was, it was what we always do. It's like, well, Aaron Jones is obviously going to go to Miami. Well, Juju Smith-Schuster is obviously going to go to Miami. Well, they're obviously going to take, you know, this guy or that guy, but as it stands, I mean, he's he's there, and I mean, if I can get if I can get a running back like that in the fifth, sixth round of a redraft, I'm happy with it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and along the lines too, I know Nate's biggest winner as well was Mike Davis, and that's no surprise. Um, Mike Davis is a guy. A couple weeks ago, um, probably about a, I want to say three weeks to four weeks ago, we did a redraft mock. Um, Scott, you and I, and a couple other people from the industry, and I got Mike Davis in like the tenth round, which I thought was a steal then. Obviously, that that redraft ADP is going to be inflated now. Probably looking at maybe a six round pick for Mike Davis, but I think that's still a lot of value for a guy who was arguably an RB one, you know, for the better part of last season. Yeah, I mean, as it stands right now, I agree. Um, I mean, I don't really know what else is going to happen between now and and week one, mm-hmm. but but I mean, he's a he's a running back that's going to get a lot of use. Like it's it's the value of that to me surpasses the looking at his metrics and that he's, you know, he's not fast or he's not this, or he's not, I don't really care if he's getting carries. I mean, especially, especially for the Falcons. So, so yeah, I think he's another one, like, you know, I'm not reaching on him, but depending on where his ADP's at, you know, come, come redraft season could, could be a bargain just like Miles Gaskin, a guy that you get, you know, later than most of your RB ones and RB twos, but that can, potentially be an RB2 on a weekly basis just based on the opportunity he's going to get. Yeah, I mean, last year, Scott, like Todd Gurley was pretty awful when you really looked at his performance, like almost 200 carries, but let like didn't even hit 700 yards. Like he was pretty trash last year. 
and still had nine touchdowns and it was very fantasy viable. Like I think Todd Gurley was something like a, a top 10 RB, you know, through the first, I want to say four or five weeks of the season last year. So Mike Davis definitely still has it in him. Well, remember one of those touchdowns was accidental, but still your point, <laughs> yeah. your point's well taken. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, man, let's go ahead and move into our next segment here. Um, we're going to break down the rookie wide receivers and we're going to do that in a segment we like to call in the scope. I have the in my sights. Requesting permission to engage. In the scope. All right. So in the scope during the season, this is kind of our waivers a week early segment. Um, you know, back in the day when we first started doing this segment, I targeted guys like George Kittle and Miles Gaskin before they were known names. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, right now, Scott, I want us to go through really this second to third tier of fantasy wide receivers that are coming in here as rookies. Um, and we're just going to talk whether we're just going to go down the list, yes or no, whether we're drafting them in redraft and, and, and why we're doing that. Um, right now, most redrafts are 12 teams, 16 rounds. So that's what we're going to project for. Um, you have to take a kicker and a defense. So you have about six or seven bench spots that you can use on positional players. Um, we're going to go ahead and say that obviously Jameer Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, those guys are going to go in, in every redraft. Um, I would say definitely probably all of them are gone by the early double digit rounds. Um, so Scott, I want to start going through the list here, man. Um, Kadarius Tony, he was the big surpriser in the draft on, on day one here. Um, would you draft Tony in a redraft? redraft personally, personally, I don't see myself drafting him, but my my thought is that he'll he will get drafted mainly just because he he's a first round wide receiver and i could end up being completely wrong on him but i don't necessarily like the landing spot um and i just i mean i i haven't done a lot of redraft redraft mocks yet or anything like that but i just i don't see myself i there's just going to be other people i'm going to want um as you as you get into those later rounds where i'm not going to pull the trigger on him yeah yeah, absolutely. Nate, just joining back with us here. Um, are, do you think you're going to grab either Kadarius Tony, um, Rashad Bateman? I don't say I want to say he was a first round surprise because um, we all knew he was probably a first round talent. But obviously, the, the Ravens, uh, the big argument against Rashad Bateman is that passing pie is smaller than a lot of teams. So, would you take either one of those guys in the first round or in, in your redrafts? Um, Rashad Bateman. Yes, I would. Um, Kadarius Tony, probably not. I wasn't really hot on him coming into the draft. There's been some character issue stuff that I didn't care for. And I tend to stay away from guys like that just simply because like, if they're a powder keg, I don't want them taking up a roster spot and then doing something stupid and getting suspended like week three, because they can't maintain control of themselves on or off the field. Uh, but Bateman, I love, I think Bateman's a lot better than people are giving him credit for. And I'm pretty high on him. I agree. I, th- I will I'll definitely be, be drafting Rashad Bateman. I already have. So <laughs> I, I think the interesting thing that the counterpoint is if Rashad Bateman is the talent that everyone thinks he is, maybe he elevates Lamar Jackson. You know what I mean? Maybe it's kind of like a situation. Um, obviously not the same caliber player, but Stefan Diggs goes to Buffalo. Josh Allen takes that step forward in his passing progressions and his game as a whole. So maybe Rashad Bateman can kind of help that out. Maybe it can kind of help Hollywood Brown not have to be the only guy out there capable yeah. of catching a ball. So well, I think that's something people are overlooking. What the Ravens did in the draft is they bolstered their passing attack to get Lamar Jackson 
throwing the ball more often and got him better reliable targets. So anybody who thinks that Rashad Bateman isn't going to get probably 115 to 120 targets is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, I think coming into this off season, watching this past season, I felt not fell victim, but I, I succumbed somewhat to that kind of group think that it's just like, well, everybody's saying Lamar Jackson isn't a good passer. He only runs it. So that must be true. But honestly, in the last like couple of weeks, there's been people that have been putting out, you know, whether it's kind of deep dive statistics or just more general things about Lamar Jackson, he's a better passer than people are making him out to be. Um, and so I think I'm not saying that he's going to all of a sudden go to like the, you know, the most pass attempts in the league and that Bateman's going to be wide receiver one. But I don't see, you know, if, it, if we were talking about a different receiver, like somebody that I had lower than Bateman, then I might be a little concerned about the landing spot. But the landing spot in this in this case isn't enough for me to pull off of it. Yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, with Rashad Bateman and Kadarius Tony there. Um, moving down our list here, there was a couple, uh, a slew of guys going in the second round who really do have some fantasy potential here. Um, starting with Elijah Moore, he goes to the New York Jets. Rondale Moore, um, he'll join Kyler Murray there in Arizona. And Dwayne Eskridge, a surprise there in Seattle. Um, I'll start with this one as far as um, whether or not I'm drafting any of these three. When it comes to redrafts, Elijah Moore, I'm going to sit and wait on that one. Um, I don't need any more Jets players on my roster. Um, but Rondale Moore, he's a guy that I think Rondale Moore is creeping up to being one of my top redraft wide receivers this season. Um, it's kind of like Justin Jefferson last season. I, I I liked Justin Jefferson coming into the process. I thought he he looked good on film. Um, he was a good he was a good prospect, but the landing spot couldn't have got better for JJ last year. And I think it's the same with Rondell Moore. So Rondell Moore is a guy, honestly, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hunting him guys. I, I don't know where you are on him, uh, Nate and Scott, but, but Rondell Moore out of that slew of wide receivers, is definitely the one I'm targeting. You know, I'm a little lower on him than you uh, just simply because of the situation. And like, I hear what you're saying with Justin Jefferson, and I don't necessarily disagree with you that he has that kind of talent. The difference is Adam Thielen went through a pretty major regression this season. He wasn't the Adam Thielen we've seen before, and that really allowed Justin Jefferson to kind of take that wide receiver one role from him as far as targets and catches. Adam Thielen was still the red zone guy, still very valuable. I'm not saying he wasn't, but he wasn't the same Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson benefited from that. And it's a mirror. He must be – could you imagine him with a real quarterback? <laughs> Just a little Kirk Cousins humor there. Well, man, that's, um, my, that's my weight on QB, QB I'm going to be getting soon. Well, that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> um, but the, so the difference here is he's got Nuke in front of him. Yeah. And Nuke is still one of the, if not the best receiver in the NFL. The dude is electric and he's incredible. And in one QB leagues, he's a guy I'm looking at taking in the first round, maybe second round at the latest, but he, if he's around, but he probably won't be. That's going to, and you've got Christian Kirk. So there, there are guys ahead of him. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Christian Kirk's debatable. I'm a little hotter on Christian Kirk, and that might be just because I have him rostered all over the place in Dynasty because he was cheap last season. But I think those, not that he's not going to have a really good season. I don't think he's going to be someone who scores a lot of touchdowns. I don't think he's going to be someone in this rookie season who's going to get a lot of catches. I believe Kirk's contract is up after this season. And if Kirk leaves, which he probably will, Moore is like a first to second round definitely take in 2022. But I just don't see it for 2021. 
I view I so I view Rondell Moore and honestly Dwayne Eskridge somewhat similar similarly. I mean Rondell Moore is better, but as far as where they went and what I predict their role is going to be, so because um, I agree, I mean you know no one's dethroning D Hop. That's not happening. But right. that's not where Rondell Moore plays. Um, you know he's a, he's a slot guy. So I right, think. Right. It's the same with Eskridge. Like, you know, I, I saw somebody say, well, he's got DK Metcalf in front of him. It's like, no, he doesn't have DK Metcalf in front of him. Right. Um, he has DK Metcalf hopefully beside him and kind right. of on the line of scrimmage while he's off the line of scrimmage a, a few yards. But I think I look at it the same way. I see talents like that, you know, just little just little spark plugs like him and mm-hmm. Eskridge. Plays being designed for them. Um, creative, you know, creative offensive play calling to get them involved. You know, I think both. I think Rondell Moore and Eskridge are both risky in redraft. I mean, if if for me, if I'm drafting Rondell Moore in redraft, it's going to be late. Same with Eskridge. And Eskridge, honestly, is probably just going to be on my team because I'm a Seahawk homer, and why not take him in the 14th or 15th round and see what happens? But it's 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 hard to project those types of things, though. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to like with with Bateman. He's my from this list we have in front of us. He's my number one. He's the guy I'm drafting first. Uh, the talent, and I mean, I think you know, I think he's at worst, the wide receiver, too, from day one on that team. Um, so, I mean, I'm taking him. So, I mean, that's a little – it's just a little bit more predictable, that role. Mm-hmm. But I just – I can't imagine that um, there won't be creative ways to get the ball into the hands of Rondell Moore on that team. And that's fair. I mean, it is Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what both these teams were missing a little bit was a slot guy. Like, D-Hop is great down the field. Um, and so is Lockin and DK, but I, I think Eskridge, he'll play in those intermediate to short routes. And I, I think Rondell Moore is going to be the same thing, especially for Kyler Murray, guy who likes to get outside the pocket. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, you should check out. So um, Kyle Yates put out a thread on Dwayne Eskridge. I, I read that earlier. Did you today. see that? It's yes. really good. And it is really good. I hope as a Seahawks fan. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. I agree. It's get, get a threat out there in the flat, out there in the middle, shallow. You know, where everybody isn't always predicting that you're just going to go deep to Metcalf every time. So, all right. So, gentlemen, l- let's run through these, uh, these, this next tier of guys. Um, let's just try to do rapid fire here. Yes or no. Um, whether you're 12 team redraft, 16 round, are you drafting uh, these wide receiver rookies? Um, start with Terrace Marshall. Go around the room. Yes or no? You're on mute, Nate. Although we we got your answer, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm probably, I'm probably not draft, probably not taking him in redraft. No, yeah, probably not a redraft one. I I love Terry. You guys know I love him as a talent, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of competition there sucks for Robbie Anderson too. He was a sleeper. I was, I was really liking. Um, moving down, Josh Palmer. Would you guys be into Josh Palmer at all? I, I, we're gonna talk about it in a minute, guys. But uh, like. I would throw darts at these guys in like some deeper redrafts. We're going to be doing a 16 team office league. I want them there. Um, especially I, I think Palmer is a guy in like Scott fishbowl specifically. I might be targeting, um, but we'll talk more about that later. I just, um, I feel like some of these, I agree they're dart throws and I'm not going to be upset like that. I tend to do that at the end of a redraft is right. pick up guys like this. But I think also with some of these guys, they're the guys, they're guys that aren't going to light it up week, week one. And so they're probably going to be sitting there on waivers early yeah. in the season too. So yeah. I'm not necessarily scrambling to get them. Either. Yeah. Right. D- Dynamic Brown to Washington. That was a, that was a fun pick. I thought. 
I do. I do like Dianemi Brown. Um, and Washington isn't the worst landing spot in the world, but yeah, it's kind of the same with Terrace Marshall. He's got two. He's got two established people in front yep. of him. Um, yep. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think he's a guy who year two, year three, maybe we see him kind of take off in that mm-hmm. offense once they have their quarterback. But yes. for now, yeah. I mean, he's a guy like if he and if he does take off, Scott, like you were saying, he's one of those guys you can get him on waivers. Yeah. It's going to be fun, though, because one or two of these guys is going to pop off. Yes. And you know it. Yep. Watch, watch all of them. All of them pop <laughs> off. We're like, well, what do we know? So, OK, so here's an interesting one, guys. Amari Rogers from Clemson. Um you know, he, he kind of really got buried a little bit in this draft. Just It was a very Clemson-heavy draft once again. I feel like people have kind of been burned out um, from Clemson players lately. But he goes to Green Bay, a place they desperately need a wide receiver. I don't want to get into the Aaron Rodgers debate. Will he or will he not be there? That's a whole different podcast in itself. Um, we're assuming Aaron Rodgers is there. Are you drafting Rodgers um, in redraft? And if so, what, what round? I'll take him later because I think he'll be available later. But I'm excited. I mean, obviously, Seth, we know how much you love Mal- Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And he's a, he's a better receiver than I think even Alan Lazard, honestly. I think that he has the capability to be the wide receiver, too, in that offense, regardless of who's quarterback. I actually might like him more if it's Jordan Love over Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I don't think I'm, – I'm probably not touching Amari Rodgers at this point. I would but, probably- I mean, it's the same. It's, it's – all these guys are like, yeah. pick, your, pick your dart and yeah. redraft. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I would throw him out. I mean, I, I would probably grab him in like the last round or two if, if he's there. If I'm if I'm short on wide receiver depth, he's a guy I would be looking for. Uh, last two here, Nico Collins out of Michigan. I really like Nico as a prospect. Unfortunately, he lands at Houston. And then Anthony Schwartz goes to a, a crowded wide receiver room in Cleveland. Um, either of these guys appetize you in redraft this year. Not really. I added one to the list. I don't know if I did, but we've got Amon Ross St. Brown. We should probably have. Oh, I didn't even. Yeah. Yep. I, I would. Pro, I, I, he's probably right there with Amari Rogers for me. Honestly, I mean, he's, he's no, a little. I mean, to me, again, this is like we'll see what I personally do, but I do think he will be drafted just because his landing spot is full of potential. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I'm not necessarily the highest on him as a talent, but he's going to have the opportunity. Right. You know, what he does with it, we'll see. But, I mean, we're talking guys that haven't played an NFL snap yet. So, he's going to Detroit. I mean, they don't they don't really have – I mean, Brashad Perryman, okay. Um, I mean, they got Hawkinson and Swift to catch the ball. But, I mean, he has he has the opportunity um, to to take that job. So, yep. so, I'm a little higher on him than the last bit of players we've been going through. All right, guys. Well, that was in the scope. We talked about rookie wide receivers. It seems like a lot of these guys are wait and see. grab them off the waiver wire um, post week one. But time will tell. We'll see what camp brings us. Um, To round out the show, guys, we're going to bring back weekly advice. And we're going to talk about something really interesting happening in the uh, fantasy football industry and community right now. And that's the Scott Fishbowl. So stay with us. We'll be right back with some weekly advice. Weekly. All right. Wrapping things up today, guys, I want to talk about the Scott Fishbowl. Um, It's been all over the place. Whatever social media you've been on lately, um, invites have gone out for SFB 11. 
those of you who do not know what Scott Fishbowl is, um, it, it's technically the biggest fantasy football uh, league in the world, um, ran by Scott Fish, who is just a legend in this community, um, been on Sirius forever, um, over there on League Safe, and and always just you know promoting positivity. And this this whole event is for Fantasy Cares, which is his his organization that um, every year they donate. Uh, toys to kids for Christmas. So um, it, it's awesome to be a part of this once again. Um, Scott, Nate, I know this is your guys' first time in the fishbowl. So do you have any initial thoughts on it? Uh, I peed my pants a little bit when I got the early invite. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, this is, so I kind of got into this community in like, as you know, Seth, when I met you like end of June, beginning of July last year, when the drafts were all starting and I remember seeing these tweets, like, I don't remember who it was, but somebody was like, hey, at Adam Rank, you've been on the clock for, like, 13 hours. Could you please make a pick? I'm like, who the hell are these people in a league with Adam Rank? And how do I get into this? And what is this, what is this SFBX thing mean? Like, I'm so confused. I had no idea. And then as I started to watch it progress, I was like, oh, oh. I saw James Rode Rodriguez tweet about being in Scott Fishbowl. I was like, okay. I need to be in this because this sounds amazing. And then just as the season progressed and we saw all the cool things that were going on with it. And I got to know like you, Seth, who was in Scott Fishbowl. like, this is such a cool thing. And it's not just because you have an opportunity where you could be in a league with Phil Yates or Matthew Berry. Um, Stephen Mills from REM plays Scott Fishbowl every year. I don't think it's Stephen. Brian Mills, maybe. But like these big names that covet getting into this tournament. And now here we are in it. And like, but also the Toys for Tots and the charity aspect of it and how he gets people more involved in actively thinking about doing things that are charitable. It's just such an incredible, incredible thing. And I mean, Jen got in, I got in. Husband and wife team in Scott Fishbowl, pretty cool. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, I agree. It's one of my favorite things in the industry right now is the Scott Fishbowl League. And I've never been in it. Um, I was lucky enough to get in it this year. And you're right, Nate. It was cool. I just, you know, I mean, you know, maybe it's a little bit overblown, like everybody's excitement for getting that golden ticket. But like, I thought that was super fun. Like people posting their invites and like everybody congratulate, you know, because like, I, when I got my, like somebody in a group chat was like, Hey, I got one. And I was like, Oh, I guess I better refresh my email and check again. And I checked and it just, it, it appeared. And I was just like, Oh, and like, whatever, that's genuine excitement. I got to feel, I'm not going to complain about that. Um, but I think, and I mean the charity aspect of it, and it's been really cool to see Scott, he's been going on some podcasts with some of our friends lately, um, kind of telling the story and like how that whole thing started is just, it started from just nothing. And now it is what it is. And it's just, it's amazing. And Toys for Tots, I mean, the whole him and Ryan McNeil, like all of it is just, it's fantastic. So um, I'm honored to be a part of it. Yeah, right now from In Between Media, we're very blessed to have uh, five of us in the Scott Fishbowl, you three, uh, or, or us three, and then uh, Nate's wife, Jen, my girlfriend, Katie, will be playing as well. So uh, definitely a family affair over here at In Between Media. And just wanted to give a quick shout out to Scott before we break down this with analysis. Um, everything Thanks. you do in the industry, I mean, a commissioner in any league, no matter what league, is a very thankless job. Um, but being a commissioner for 1,400 people plus is the most thankless job there is. So thank you, Scott, for continuing to yeah. do this. Um, it, it's a great networking opportunity. It's a great 
opportunity to help help other charities. And the one thing I, I think he really says is, you know, there is no entry fee for Scott Fishbowl, but if you can either make a donation somewhere or better take part of your league's um, league's entry fee and put that towards a charity, um, it, it's a great thing to do. In our first year of the Penn All-Star League, um, my former college newspaper, uh, we, we did, we put um, $5 from everyone's um, buy-in, put that towards charity, ended up donating it to uh, the winner's charity of choice. It went to Lancaster County Food Hub this year. So, uh, but, but it's a great thing to do guys. And, uh, so I can, if I can say one thing, I, I would just encourage you guys to do that. What is, you know, 20% or, or 10% of your, of your league winnings. It's really not that much and it can go to a much better cause than something that we're probably going to put right back into some sort of DFS or, you know, daily gambling, anything like that. So, right. Absolutely. So kind of looking at the, the scoring guys um, a little bit, and, and we'll definitely have more episodes and talk more about this for our listeners who are interested. Um, basically the roster is, it's a super flex league, but the quarterback scoring is a lot different. You get points for being more accurate interceptions really burn you. So a couple of years ago, Jameis Winston, he was the QB four in most redrafts in Scott Fishbowl turns around. Um, I think he was something like QB 24, 25, Last year as well, quarterbacks who got sacked, they lost a point as well. So, like, there were times I was playing against guys like Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones, who were getting negative points. Like, it is very plausible to get negative points from your quarterback and Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, not drafting Russell Wilson if that's the Did, case. Didn't you get negative 20 or something out of Kirk Cousins one week? Was I, that you or was that somebody else? Yeah, that wasn't me. I I, I never went. But, but like, it, it did make players like Kirk Cousins and – Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, and Drew Brees, people who are really accurate with the ball normally, it made them a lot more valuable. So um, it's super flex, three wide receiver, two RB, three flex, um, some new roles coming into 2021. Um, There is a third round reversal now, so that changes kind of everything because you do get a hand in selecting your draft spot. So it's going to play into the strategy there a little bit, and you can flex kickers now. Kickers have never been a part of the Scott Fishbowl as long as I've been playing at least. So now you can flex kickers. So that will change things up a little bit. Um, Do you guys have any initial thoughts on any strategies you're thinking about? Um, I know this is your first time, but think out loud here. Well, I want to know if if Nate's hatred for Kirk Cousins is strictly based on Scott Fishbowl scoring. (laughs) No, no. I've disliked. Kirk Cousins since he was with the Redskins or the Wash. I'm sorry, the Washington football team. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't like him from the time he was a rookie. Okay. I don't, I mean, I honestly don't, you know, I just recently looked up what third round reversal even means. So I'm still, I'm still at the, at the beginnings of figuring, figuring out my strategy for this thing, but I love the, the aspect of the goofy scoring because I've been playing basically the same scoring settings for years and years and years with a few, a few adjustments here and there. Right. Um, and I just think it makes it fun. So yep. yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to find out and kind of get into the draft. And I think I'll figure out my strategy once I get in there. Advice to you guys as first time players and advice to other people playing in this this year. Um, definitely do some mocks. There's a couple tools out there that can really help you gauge ADP in the Scott Fishbowl. It's kind of all over the place, but um, there will be some tools out um, that, that you can use and uh, do a couple of mocks with other people in the industry. Um, there's some, some great group chats you can get involved with as well. And my biggest thing would be create creative and unique with your strategies. Um, Katie and I were joking about it earlier and 
talking about her maybe going all in on kickers, grabbing Rodrigo and and Koo and <laughs> and Justin Tucker and just flexing them all. Um, and, and Evan McPherson. <laughs> th- that's my advice. Is don't. I mean, obviously, don't go all kicker, but like like get unique with it. Last year, um, my big thing is I tried to go too tight end heavy. It's a very tight end premium league. And I was noticing that the top tight ends actually are almost more valuable in this format than the wide receiver ones. So I was targeting guys like Zach Ertz, which was a disappointment and a mistake. Um, I actually took Zach, like I took Zach Ertz in the third round over Aaron Jones. That's how hyped I was on him. But I, I tried to go, I tried to go double down on tight end. I've got Darren Waller then in the fifth, um, really wanted that tight end heavy. And that, that worked out favorably. Um, I really punted wide receivers last year. Uh, my first, my first pick at wide receiver was Michael Gallup. And I think in about the eighth round oh, and no. one pick after Stefan Diggs went, um, Oof. Oh no. Wide receiver. He picks after DK too. So, I, I I punt like I think you can get wide receiver value in this league. Um, so I I'm probably gonna punt wide receiver again. I, I got Justin Jefferson last year in like the ninth round, and he was a guy who carried me. So um, obviously you don't find those types of guys every year. But so those are some of my initial thoughts. Um, overall, though, I would just say let's just have fun. Honestly, it's such a such a cool experience that we get to be a part of. Um, let's continue to try to find new ways to get involved with nonprofit organizations and those charitable, charitable organizations out there and, and just have fun with it, man. I'm, I'm excited. I can't stop myself from talking about it. Um, <laughs> we're going to have a panel here in a couple of weeks. So I'll shut up about it now, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. And if you guys have no other, no other uh, advice for us here, Scott, I know you, you had something you wanted to touch on. Give us a little feel good to uh, get us through the rest of our week, man. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take us out with uh with a few, a few feel good things, life things, and a few shout outs and even, Hey, follow these people. So the first, just some things that stood out to me this week, um, on Twitter, uh, our good friend, Doug, uh, the fantasy moose at he's at the fantasy moose on Twitter. You should follow him if you're not, but it was a conversation with, uh, with a friend who, you know, is going through a rough time and he brought up a really good point to no matter what, um, celebrate every little victory, every little milestone. Um, you know, you, every day has some sort of little victory and milestone. And if we wait around for the big giant ones, then it's just going to lead to disappointment. So I, that, that stuck with me. I think that's a really good thing to focus on just kind of more of that focusing on the day type of thing. Um, and then yesterday I had the privilege of listening to a, just an amazing panel on, um, clubhouse on the clubhouse app. Uh, all you iPhone users. Yeah, what can I say? So anyway, um, it was, it was, uh, what was it for? It was supporting women in sports basically. And so Victoria Geary was there. She's at, at FFB underscore Victoria. She's awesome. Um, she's shooting up like a rocket ship. So if you're not following her, you should be. Um, Liz Lola at, at Liz Lola underscore FF. She said something that really stuck with me too. She has this mantra where, you know, there's lots of negativity and there's lots of drama and all that kind of stuff everywhere. And one thing we have control over, one thing we can choose is who we spend our energy on. We get to choose where our energy gets distributed. And so I just, you know, it's a really simple thing, but it it stuck with me and I'm still thinking about it. And it's true. Um, Easier said than done, but it's true. 
So also on that, on that, and again, the, the panel was, was fantastic. Um, it was Kate and Michelle from Ball Blast. So that's Kate's at uh, FF Ball Blast. Michelle's at, at Ball Blast FFB. And then Brooke Pryor from ESPN was there. And she's at B-E-P-R-Y-O-R. So B Pryor on Twitter. And even Stefania Bell stopped in to answer a question. So awesome. it was, it was just, it was great. I just, you know, I sat there and I listened because that's what I wanted to do. But anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out to those, to those women. Cause it was, it was a great, it was a great panel. I actually learned a lot and you should follow them. That's my piece. Awesome. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, uh, it's been a pleasure once again. Um, I'm excited. I'm already like revved up for the season. Two weeks is definitely not enough, but maybe we'll try out Twitter spaces sometime soon. Talk more Scott Fishbowl, talk more redraft, um, talk more life. You know, that's what we are here in between media. We're going to continue to combine both life and fantasy sports advice to the best of our ability. You know, next time we'll be back here, same place, same time. You can find us um, for Scott and Nate. I'm Seth Wilcock. You can find us on the Twitter bird at IBT underscore media. We'll catch you next time. Keep it in between until then. Yeah, I found myself somewhere in between. The In Between Fantasy Football Podcast. The one thing that you know really sets us apart here is, is we're not afraid to talk about other things that maybe aren't super fantasy related. Do what you can to become a better person, to become a better human.